Well, good morning. It's really good to be with you. Um, all right. I should have thought about it a little bit. This would have been my one opportunity as a pastor to come and preach in shorts at Missio Day, and I missed the memo. Dang it. Uh, that's all right, I guess. But if you see me sweating up here, it's because I, I was a fool and I wore long sleeves. But, well, okay, so you're, some of you are probably prepped that I'm going to be here. Some of you are thinking, wait, that's not the bald guy that's usually here. Um, I've got a lot more hair than Paul, but I'm excited to be with you. Paul is at General Synod, which is our denominational meeting uh, in, where is it, Michigan this year? And, you know, lo- loads of excitement, I'm sure. Paul is thrilled and excited to be in lots of meetings, but he, he asked me to be here with you this morning and to bring God's word. I'm excited to do that. Paul and I, we, we know each other sort of through some denominational stuff, but my short time knowing Paul, I really appreciate him as a brother in Christ. He's somebody that just has a passion for going deeper, and um, you know, it's been exciting just to see how he's sort of shepherded this group of people and this church. And, um, you know, a lot of us have heard about Missio Day Church, and this is my first time visiting you, but I've, I've heard about you, and several of us have prayed for you before. There's something really unique about this church, because you're such a young and new church. It's like a church start, what, five years ago, maybe? I don't know, four years ago? You're four years old. The church that I'm at is 74 years old, so it's a lot different culture. Um, probably the average age, you know, I would be an elder. I would be old here, which is, which is cool. I'm definitely not at my church, but... I come to you from Grace Church in Lansing. Anyone have heard of Lansing before? Yes? Anyone from Lansing? That's great. Where, what church are you a part of in Lansing? Great. Yeah, I know the church. That's awesome. Well, I'm actually from Iowa originally, so I'm still getting used to Lansing a little bit. But go Hawkeyes. I'm, a, I'm an Iowa guy. And uh, being a Hawkeye fan is kind of like being a Cubs fan. You know they're going to lose every year, but you just, you're faithful anyway. You're excited anyway. Um, well, it's really cool for me to be here for a couple of reasons. One is just the excitement of being part of a, a new church. God is doing something new within this group of people, and God is, over time, going to use this to branch out and reach so many people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe there are some of you here today that came to Christ because of this church, this young church. That's really cool. But I'm also excited to be here because we're at Camp Manitoba. This is only my second time at Camp Manitoba. However, camp ministry is so ingrained in my heart. I would not be a Christian today if it weren't for a camp in Iowa similar to Camp Manitoba. Well, I can't say I wouldn't be a Christian. I don't know what the Lord would have done. But this is the, the channel that the Lord used to bring me to him. Year after year, I would go back to, it was called Camp Wyoming, this little tiny camp. I don't know. But I loved it. And God spoke to me so powerfully through this camp. I think one of my pathways to know God is nature. Any other nature lovers here? There's just something powerful about seeing his creation that just speaks to my soul. And so being here is just exciting because this is, it's so much like where it all began for me. Um, so I love that. Uh, I am, a little bit about me. My name is Dennis and I am I'm a musician by like my training, I went to college to be a, a trumpet player, and then the Lord has brought me here to be in, in ministry now. I am married to my wife, Kelly, who's pacing the back with our seven-month-old son, Joshua, and then we have a two-year-old, Emily. And, uh, we are in a sleepless fog of times with no... The young kids, I don't know how you survive these times, but 
we keep thinking it's going to get better, but it's like, we're so tired. Wait, no, no kidding. Last, yesterday, we hired a babysitter for three hours, and all we, we just took a nap for three hours. Pa- paid someone 40 bucks so we could take a nap. I mean, what, is, what stage of life is this? I don't know, but it's all right. Anyway, that's a long introduction. Let me get past the introduction. Anyway, I'm excited to be here, and today is Father's Day. Did anyone not know that? Okay, hopefully, hopefully you remembered. Um, this is my third Father's Day as a father. Pretty cool. The first Father's Day that I had as a father, I don't think I even realized that, oh wait, that's for me now. I, I was so used to just celebrating it for my own dad that it didn't really occur to me that it's now for me. I missed Mother's Day that year too. My, my wife was really mad at me that I didn't realize that this was her first time as a mother. And um, when you have kids, you better, better remember that. But thinking about Father's Day, I want to kind of be on that theme a little bit today. And I think this day actually could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. When we say Father's Day, some of us just think of this cherished father that we have, who we want to celebrate and honor him, and, and that's awesome. For some of us, it means celebrating a provider that we had. Celebrating unconditional love. Maybe we think of Father's Day and we think of the one person that we would run to when we really need help. For others, Father's Day may have some different connotations. For me, Father's Day is a mixed bag, to be honest. It's a mixed bag because I, I have the joy of having Emily, when I wake up this morning, say, Happy Father's Day in a two-year-old voice. But then I also have the morning of thinking of my own father who four years ago unexpectedly passed away of a heart attack while hiking in the mountains of Yosemite National Park. And now I'm celebrating Father's Day missing my dad. Some of you may be able to relate to that. Maybe you've lost a father. Maybe you never had a father in your life or your father has... There's, there's a lot of issues mixed in with that that make this day a mixed bag. And I don't want to like dig too deep on that, but I want to raise this issue of thinking about God as our Father. But even a little bit more specific, I want to think about what does it mean that we are children of God? We hear that phrase a lot, oh, I'm a child of God, blah, blah, blah. But I want to really dig into that. What does it mean and why does it matter that we're children of God? So I've got a goal today for my sermon. My goal, if, if my sermon goes well, we'll leave today with even a deeper love for God who just undeservedly loves us, who undeservedly considers us children. If you walk out of this chapel today at the end and you don't have any deeper stirring love for God, then I consider that I may not have met my goal. So I, I want to be, just be up front with you. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, how am I going to stir a greater love for you, for God? I can't. That's only the work of the Holy Spirit. But I think as we open God's Word today and, and just discover an amazing passage about God our Father, I think our natural response is going to be, man, I love, I love this God who is, is considering me a child. This is a message that's going to be saturated with God's grace. So the church that I'm at in, in Lansing, it's called Grace Reformed Church. I love, the, I love our name so much because that, 
of all the words in the Christian faith, there's no richer word than grace. It's like the hinge point of the gospel. And we'll, we'll talk about that some today. All right, so here's my main point. We can put this up on the, it's probably slide number two, I don't know. Point, the point is this. We can be children of God through faith in Christ. Okay, kind of a face value statement, but actually if we really think about this statement, there are some pretty key words in this statement. And I've chosen some of these words pretty intentionally. I didn't say we are children of God. I said we can be children of God. I didn't say automatically. I said through faith in Christ. We're going to dig into some of those words today. Um, So what I'd like to do now is to get into a scripture passage. If you could open up to Galatians 4. Galatians, actually Galatians 3 is where we'll start. Galatians 3.26. Does anyone have a, a page number for the Pew Bibles there? 974? Okay. Thank you. 974. We're going to start in verse 26, which is like smack dab in the middle of a paragraph. So just follow along with me as I read it out loud. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That might sound a little familiar to my main point. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. All right, let me talk about this just a little bit here before we dive into some of these past, these uh, verses. Galatians. You may or may not have ever dug into this book before. Galatians is not exactly one of those make-you-feel-warm-fuzzy books. It's not like Psalm 23 or something. Uh, Lord, you're my shepherd, I shall not want... No, this is, this is filled with statements like, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Oh, yeah. The whole book is just kind of digging in at the Galatian church to correct a false theology, to correct an error that they have started to think, a distorted gospel. If you look back in verse Galatians 1.6, just a few pages back, why don't, you, why don't you turn there and we'll just read this. This is kind of a context for the whole book of Galatians. Here's what Paul says, verse, chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is not real happy with this church. 
This is a church that Paul at one time probably planted. And then he moved on and planted other churches and left them to grow and to, to deepen their faith in Christ. They've received the gospel. This is a church that got it. It's a church that was understanding the gospel. But then things happened. And they started, started to get off track. Over time, they started to develop this theology or this understanding that to be a, a good Christian, you not only had to believe in Jesus, but you also had to become circumcised, like the Jews. Because that's, that's the symbol of like being super devoted to your faith. And Paul is saying, no, that is not right. You cannot add to the gospel. It's just about Jesus and his grace. So that's the whole book is like this argument about that. And we kind of pick up in the context where we started in chapter 3. Continuing this whole argument saying that, no, you can't add to the gospel. Alright, so what I want to do today, this main point, we can be children of God through faith in Christ. I'm going to just make four points about this truth. There are four truths about living as children of God that are going to kind of point to that, that final main point. And these are all just rooted right in the scripture. We're just going to walk through the scripture together. So let's start with verse 27, chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. Here's the first, main, here's the first point. There are no favorites in the family of God. No favorites in the family of God. Where it said, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. So we've heard this verse before. Some of you have. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why was this an important point to the Galatians? Why is Paul saying this to this group of people? He's saying it because they're turning to a different gospel. And they're saying, if you do this, then you're extra special. Whereas if you haven't, you're, you're not really one of the favorites. You're not in the in crowd. pretty relevant message for the Galatian church. But does that have anything to say to us today? Do we ever play favorites in the family of God? Now, I came from a, a personal family where my parents did a great job of just treating all three of us kids very equal. I never felt like there were any favorites in our family. But sometimes in the family of God, things get a little twisted, don't they? And I think this can creep into all of our, our own thinking. It can creep into my thinking. It can come out in little subtle ways like, you know, well, I send my kids to the Christian school. Or, you know, I, I've never smoked. I've never gotten drunk. I, I've, I serve as an elder. I've gone on a mission trip. Or I, I work at Camp Manitoba for the summer. I, and we start to get this little bit of pride in us saying, I got it a little more together than that guy. If they would just be like me, if he would just send his kids to the Christian school, then, then he's going to be all right then too. You've got to take this step to become really one of the favorites in the family. That, see, this actually creeps into us all the time. It's, it's just in little subtle ways. Uh, Sometimes I work in youth ministry, so I, I hang out with a lot of teenagers, which is awesome. I love it. I love that part of my job. And 
sometimes, well, just last Sunday, we had one kid give a testimony. It was awesome. I, I love hearing testimonies of how God has changed kids' hearts. There was one statement in there that I had to cringe at a little bit. I'm going to talk to him about that. I haven't had a chance to yet. But he said, I, I'm trying now to be a better Christian. Have you ever said that before? See, I have. And I think I know what I've meant by it. But there's, there's something wrong with that statement. Do we, do we really become better Christians if we get this right, if we do this, if we do this? Are we actually adding something to the gospel if we start saying, I got to do these things and then God's going to look at me better? That creeps into my life. I bet it creeps into yours. Because it's not about being a better Christian. Don't, get, don't, miss, don't hear what I'm not saying. Wait, let me say that again. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't be a good Christian. Don't do the right things. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that being a better Christian, being a better person, isn't going to change your status with God whatsoever. Because God accepting you into his family isn't based on you at all. It's based on what Jesus already did on the cross. So when we start thinking, I got, when we get that little bit of pride come into our life, or we start looking at others and say, if they would just do this, if they would just do this, we've got to remember that the gospel is about Jesus. It's not about doing things. All of these things are good things. You know, there's a good chance that we will send our kids to a Christian school. Not a bad thing. I'm not bashing that whatsoever. But it's, it's not about the action. It's about the motivation. Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Am I doing them so that others will see me as a better Christian? Am I doing them so that God will think better of me? Or am I doing them out of a response for what God has already done? We've got to look at our hearts a little bit. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? The Galatians were, in a lot of ways, doing good things. But they added something to the gospel. They said to be a favorite, you've got to look like this. Hear me, hear me say this. There is nothing you can bring to the table to God. You have nothing to offer. That's a bold statement. It's what we call in the Reformed Church total depravity. You've got nothing to offer. It was all God's grace that he accepted you in. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Some of you are uneasy right now. You're thinking, I don't really like what you're saying, Dennis. What's going on here? Let's, let me help this with, with verse 27 a little bit. It said, For you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So it's, it's talking about being baptized into Christ. Last week at our church, I got to baptize three teenagers who have made a profession of faith. They've become Christians. None of them came from Christian families. It was such an exciting day. They wanted to take this step and be baptized, and they stood before the church, and they gave their testimonies. It was awesome. And as I, before I baptized them, I, I encouraged each of them, just kind of a little conversation, the, the two of us, before we did it, to think about what it symbolizes as they go into the water. Let me, let me ask this. How many of you were baptized as adults? Okay, so some of you have had this experience. 
to think about the symbolism as you go into the water, really essentially unclean, and the symbol, you go under the water and you come out washed clean of your sins. Of course, it's not the, the water that, of baptism that really clean us, cleanse us, it's God's grace, but it's this rich symbol. I come out of the water a new man. God has changed me at the core. He's cleansed me. Verse 27 talked about putting on Christ. What does that mean? Well, when you become a Christian, God allows you to put on the righteousness of Christ. And he looks at you and he doesn't see your own sinfulness. He doesn't see your your problems and your issues. He sees the righteousness of Christ. It's almost like this this perfect cloak that we put on and it, it covers all of our sin. God now sees us as righteous. But it's not me that's righteous, it's Christ. This is how you become part of the family of God, is by putting on that righteousness of Christ. Many of you here have done that. And I, so this message today is just, it's to kind of tweak a little bit of our thinking, how sometimes we can get off track a little bit. And I'm speaking to myself too, because it's just in our very nature. That verse 28, there's either Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You know, really what it's talking about is tier, like different tiers, different levels of Christianity. There are none. If you're a Christian... You're, you're a son, a daughter of, of Christ. You're into the family. It's not like there's a favorite child of God now. You're in the family. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter how much of your life you've gotten cleaned up. God w- wants you to get your life cleaned up, but he's going to help you take care of that. That's not a prerequisite to becoming a Christian. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all a mess, really. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a depressing thought in a way. Here are those pastors up here telling you you're a mess. But, but we're, the good news of that is that the more messy we are, the more amazing God's grace is. When we see that we've got issues and we realize God still chose to save me, that's when we realize what an awesome God we have. It changes our whole view. It changes everything. We're we're in a society where everything is about, your whole identity is about what you do. You know, a lot of people just graduated, took this step, and everyone's, you know, congratulations, I'm so proud of you. And now you're going to spend the rest of your life battling this identity question. The first time you meet somebody, what's the most common question they ask? What's your name? What do you do? What do you do for a living? It's like what we do defines us, but it doesn't. Christ defines us. We're in a doing society. It's all about what you do, what you do. How much have you done for me lately? But verse 28 is saying, there's no status. You're not defined by your economic level or what you do or what you've done. There's no distinctions anymore. You're either a Christian in the family of God or you're not. I think that changes how we view others. I don't know about you, but sometimes that can be a little prone to look at others and 
kind of make judgments in my heart. I'd see somebody walking down the street. I may not even know them. And there are times where I just, I had these judgmental thoughts of, oh, they just need to do, you know. And it's, it's sin, and I know it, but it, that's the point. All of us have that nature in us. It's so easy for us to judge others. But when we realize there is no distinction, if we're part of the family, we're part of the family, it, it helps us to just let go of some of those judgments. I said I was going to make four points, and I'm, I'm going to go on to the second one. And this, this comes from verses 1 through 3. The point is this. Before Christ, we had no rights. This is what I think is the most challenging and confusing part of the passage. This is where if I were sitting in your shoes and someone else was up here reading this whole verse, right around verses 1 through 3, I'd start to check out or I'd start daydreaming. I'd think, I don't get it. I, what am I having for lunch today? But I, I want to dig into it a little bit because it's actually pretty helpful once you understand it. Here's what it said. I mean that the air as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. What in the world are we talking about here? Try to stay with me. So, there's an heir. He's a child. He's no different than a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But this child is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Okay, let me, let me try to explain that in, in my own words. I told you that I have a seven-month-old son, Joshua. I think he's down in the nursery now. If something were to happen, God forbid, on our way home, that Kelly and I, the Lord would take us home, we would have an estate that would have to get settled. And my son Joshua would be an heir. He's my son. He would be the rightful owner of our inheritance, however meager that might be as a pastor. But you don't just give the inheritance to a seven-month-old. What is Joshua going to do with it? Like, $20 bill, just start chomping on it like he chomps on everything else. He wouldn't be ready for it. So, of course, what would happen is the state would set up a guardian, and that that money would go into a trust, and then at a certain time when Joshua was ready, or when we had specified in the will that we still have yet to write, and at some point, he would then be able to inherit this money. So it's like right now, he's an heir, but it's pointless because he wouldn't get anything right now. That's what this is talking about. There's, there's an heir, he's a child, but he's under guardians and trustees. He wouldn't get anything right now. Joshua would end up living as if he got nothing as a seven-month-old. Now, what, the, what he's trying to do here is he, he's trying to compare living as children under a guardian with living as a believer in God, but under the law. It's comparing life before Christ to being a child with no rights to your inheritance. What, why does this matter for the Galatians? Well, they came up in a really unique time in history where no one else can say this. 
where they grew up under the law before Christ came. They had all the Jewish traditions that they had to do to be right in the eyes of God, even though they would fail and fail and fail. They could never do enough. It was this constant battle of trying harder to please God, knowing that you really couldn't do it. That was the culture they grew up in. And then Christ came and made a new way. He became their righteousness. There's no one else in history other than that generation that can say they experienced both. They were under the law and now they've been set free. We come in a time where we've given the opportunity to be set free. The Galatians, even though they had that opportunity, they were so ingrained with the way they had grown up that they kept reverting back to, okay, but I just got to, I get the gospel, I get Jesus, I accept him, but I also got to do this stuff to be a better Christian. They were trying to do the law and receive the grace of Christ. And I want to say, we're not all that different today. We still try to receive the grace of Christ, but then we still find ourselves trying to do stuff for God. Not out of response for Him, but to kind of please Him. We're trying, we're trying and trying and trying to do stuff for God. I grew up, okay, my, my grandmother, I don't remember what age I was, but I remember this very vividly, and it stayed with me my whole life. And I, this, this image of God. Here's what happened. I did something ornery i'm sure maybe i was beaten up on my sister i don't know what it was but i remember my grandmother came to me and said you know god is up in heaven and he just put a black mark by your name a black check and i got this image that god was up in heaven with the big black pen just waiting for us to mess up so he could put a check by our name but then when we did something right he would have another colored pen where he'd put a check in that other column and saying oh he did something right so it was this image of if I just have more good checks than I have bad checks, maybe I'm going to be okay. It was this, this life of trying to please God, trying to get it right. I didn't understand grace. Maybe some of you have grown up with that image of the black pen God. If you did, or if any of that has crept into your life, then the third point is really important for you. Let's go to the third point slide. God took action. Why does that matter about the big black pen God? Because we don't live under the scrutiny of a black pen God. That theology that my grandmother taught me is completely false. In fact, it had a lot to do with what the Galatians were being corrected by. Our status before God doesn't depend on us. All right, this comes from verses 4 and 5. Somebody, verse 4, what's the first word? But. Okay, so this is kind of like one of these um, bad news, good news sermons. Okay, Paul uses the first three verses. Your child, you got no rights. As the bad news. And then he gets to the good news. And it starts with that word, but. Okay? Verses 1 through 3, if that was our lives, we would be no different than a slave, is what he's saying. 
you're just, you got no rights and you got to keep trying to please the Father. What's the but? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The next key word in this verse is God. But God sent forth his son. So when we think of that whole comparison of the, the guardian, Joshua's too young, somebody would be watching over his estate until he's old enough to get the inheritance. This is finishing that analogy, saying that the guardian in that is God. God is the guardian of your inheritance. And when the fullness of time had come, when God decided it was time, he sent Jesus so that you could now receive your inheritance. Do you get the analogy? Blank stares. That's a pastor's nightmare. God sent his son. He was the guardian so that you could have your inheritance. Before, you had no rights. I had no rights. I wasn't really part of the family as much as I tried and tried to be. But when Christ came, it opened the door for all of us to actually be children of God. The only place where that analogy breaks down a little bit in Paul's argument, this guardian thing, is that a guardian would have just said, Okay, Joshua, you're 18 years old now. You're going to college. You're old enough. Here's your inheritance. Here's all 20 bucks that your dad left you. But in this analogy, God not only said, okay, it's time. He was the one that made it time. He took action. He did something. He redeemed us, it says. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. He sent forth his son. Without that sacrifice, without God taking that step, we would still be like slaves. We'd still be trying and trying and trying harder to please God, knowing that there's something in us that keeps running away from God and doing the wrong thing. He made a way. And then this is where the verses, I think, just get to be awesome. If you were falling asleep, verses 1 through 3, I give grace in that. I understand it. When you get to verses 4 and 5, especially verse 5, this is where, man, something just comes alive in me as I read it. It's so exciting. Here's what it said. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You've been adopted into God's family. We all know the story of the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son, wild living, dad, see you later, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm a mess, dad, will you take me back? You know, what, kind of, what kind of dad would have that heart? Well, you know, the prodigal son story, I love the story. It's not really so much my story. I was never like the wild, crazy, wild living guy. Um, but I love hearing the stories like that. Have you heard stories of of people whose lives were just so far from God, and then God got a hold of their heart, and they came back, and they're totally transformed. I just heard a story about that not too long ago. I mean, this guy was a man. I mean, you know, it, was, it was a crazy story. There was no, he had no business coming back to God with the way his life was, but he did. God accepted, accepted him back. I love hearing those stories. But 
in a way, what I want to say is that's actually all of our story in a little way. We're all prodigal kids. It might not be in those crazy, whoa, that's really bad. But if everyone got a good glimpse in our own hearts and saw some of the ugliness there, I think they would all celebrate, wow, you were a prodigal child that God, God took you back. The word that I love, adoption. You've, you've received adoption as sons. I saw this in a powerful way. A few years ago, I was in St. Louis, and there's a family that, that I spent some time with, the Chapeaux. A family that's serving in ministry in the inner city. They've chosen to live in the inner city, a dangerous part, just to minister to that community. And they're radical living Christian kind of people. But they have adopted four kids from the DHS system. Not as infants, but as kind of like, I don't know, elementary kids or even young teenagers. African-American kids that they adopted. Now, let let me fill this out a little bit. When you adopt somebody from the system, you're adopting some baggage. Because they're in the system for a reason. Because their parents either didn't want them or could not be fit parents to handle them. A lot of them are abused or just all kinds of neglect issues. And those issues start to pop up in people's lives when they hit elementary school or middle school. And that's exactly the time where the Chapeaux came in and adopted four kids. And it was messy. And it was hard. And, and yet it was beautiful. Because if the Chapeaux hadn't come in, there's pretty much no hope of getting adopted when you're a 12-year-old African-American in the city of St. Louis in the system. There's really very little hope for you other than being raised by the state. But the Chapeaux had a heart, and they said, we just want to bring a few kids into our family. It's like they plucked them out of this hopeless situation and said, we're just going to love you as part of our family. And in a sense, that's what God's done for us. We were, we were hopeless. We were sort of like, in the system of trying to be good enough. And, and God said, you know what? I'm going to just take you out of that hopeless situation. And I'm going to plop you in a perfect family that's going to love you. And care for you. Man, that's an awesome word. The other part that's awesome about it is that it's totally undeserved. Have you ever gotten something that you completely didn't deserve? Something awesome that you didn't deserve? I don't know. I can think of a couple things for me. One would be my wife. I didn't deserve someone that awesome. But an image of this that I, that I also thought of, when I was in college, I went, I went to college with a, I had a roommate named Zach. He was a music guy also with me. And he had a real passion for music and, and the Lord. He wasn't really that great. <laughs> he played piano. He wasn't like awesome, but he, was, but he just had so much heart. And there was a guy who was a worship leader at a church that we both went to, who just saw something in Zach. And he just, he invested in him, did a lot of music stuff with him. And then in a year, he, he made this radical decision. He went to a music store and he bought a Taylor guitar, $1,500 guitar. 
and he just gave it to Zach and said, I believe God has plans for you. 15, I mean, a tailor, if there's any guitar players here, you understand a tailor. They're awesome. It's not, it's not a comparison to any other guitar. They're just beautiful. But that moment propelled Zach's life. Zach went on to lead worship at several different churches, and he went on tour with Matthew West. And, like, just this cult, like, he became, God used him in amazing ways. But that guitar gift was something just totally unexpected and undeserved. Zach didn't really do anything to deserve it. I was a little jealous, honestly, as his roommate. I'm like, where's mine, you know? But that was completely undeserved. And that's the story of, of our adoption as, as God's children. We didn't deserve it. In fact, if God did choose a few kids to adopt into his family, it probably wouldn't have been me. If it was based on who God wanted to choose, who's good enough, I'm not sure if any of us would have made the cut anyway. But that's the beauty of grace. God didn't choose us because of how good we are. He just chose us. He said, I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to love you. That's awesome. That's grace. All right, fourth point. I've got to keep moving. This is where, it just keeps getting better. This is where I'm so excited about it. Point point four, children have privileges. Okay, all of that is such good news already. As if it wasn't enough that God just said, you're not good enough, I'm going to just choose you anyway. You're part of my family now. Not only does he do that, he then says, and I'm going to bless you with all of my inheritance. Here you go. Totally undeserved. God doesn't just save us from our sins. He doesn't just love us. He goes further and says, I'm going to give you all the rights and the privileges of a child. Verses 6 and 7 talks about some of those rights and privileges. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir. Three amazing privileges that God gives us that it mentions there. First, it mentions God has given his spirit Not long ago, you talked about Pentecost Sunday, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if I can fully understand how crazy it is, but if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is living in you. We have God living in us. That's a crazy gift that was not available to people before Christ. That's an awesome gift. My little girl, Emily, she's at an age where she's just starting to like, understand God a little bit. She makes statements that just floor us. It's so funny. So one day she's looking out the window and there's clouds out there. They're in the sky. The heaven, heaven's in the sky. God lives in heaven. I love God. He gave me lips. Okay. The other day she said, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's my two-year-old throwing out omnipresent. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. But I don't know how much she understands it, but... That's, that's true. God is everywhere, but God is in your heart if you know Christ. And that's an awesome privilege, an awesome gift. We could talk more about that, but that'll be for another day. A second amazing privilege or gift that God gives us is relationship. It said, 
crying, Abba, Father. Do you understand the context of that phrase? Where have you heard it before? Who else has said that phrase? Jesus on the cross, right. It's a really interesting phrase. It's like saying, Daddy. It's a really intimate term. And at the time when Jesus said it on the cross, that was like blasphemous. You don't speak of God as your daddy. God is holy and mighty, and you've got to be down in your knees and on your face when you think about God. And God, Jesus is calling him daddy. It's like this personal, intimate phrase. And this passage is saying, you now have that right. God doesn't have to be some distant God out there somewhere doing stuff that I can't understand. I thought of God like that at one time in my life. God was so big and out there, but he wasn't personal. And it was at this camp that I told you about where I discovered a relationship with God. That's a privilege that has come to us through the grace of Christ. I don't know if you're able to personally think of God as your, your daddy. I think there, there can be, that can be easy for some and there, it can be challenging for others. I certainly understand that sometimes our earthly fathers can tarnish our image of our heavenly father. It can be harder to think of God as a daddy when we don't have an earthly daddy that we can even go to. But we do have a perfect heavenly father that we can cry out to intimately and personally. You know, I I think I saw that image most vividly on a mission trip. Has anyone ever been to Kenya before? Okay. Had this amazing privilege. It was God's plan to take me to Kenya. It wasn't, it was not where I was planning to go. And God just made a way. But I spent some time at this little orphanage that about 50, 50 to 60 young women, ages, I'd say, 5 through 17. These are all girls that grew up in the Kibera slums and had no parents, were just on the streets fending for themselves, begging. And they got brought into this orphanage. It was a Christian orphanage, teaching them about their Heavenly Father. And... I, man, I almost get choked up even thinking about it. These girls taught me so much about what it meant to know God personally. There was one night where we did a talent show. It was so beautiful. I mean, some of these girls, they would, they would dance. They would do dances or just comedy acts. I mean, it's so funny. They had so much life and vibrancy. But one girl came up and sang a solo at this talent show. And here were the words... She sang. You may know the song. I wish I could play it for you, but I'm not going to sing it for you. I can't sing. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. Yeah, I'm getting choked up because I'm picturing this girl who has no dad, has never had a dad who has shown her anything. 
She's singing with such joy. I have a father. He knows my name. That's a privilege that we've been given through the grace of Christ. You have that relationship. You have access to God. That can be our story too. It's not just a Kenyan orphan. That's all of us that need a father like that. The third blessing that God gives us is found in verse 7. You are an heir, it says. An heir. An heir to the inheritance. I was reading about some crazy inheritance stories. Uh, Sometimes you you hear about these. You can go to the the picture slide. This This is Kara Wood. In 1992, she was 17, working at Drin's Colonial Restaurant in her hometown, 15 miles east of Cleveland. She was a good employee, bright, friendly, and helpful. One customer, Bill Cruxton, liked her so much, he always sat in her section. A widower with no children, he went daily to the restaurant for his meals and some company. Wood became so important to Cruxton that he rewrote his will, making her the main beneficiary. Cruxton, 82, died of heart failure in 1992, November, and left her a half million dollars. I mean, imagine, just trying to make ends meet, age 17, a waitress, And you just get this completely unexpected inheritance. Half million bucks. I I could go for one of those unexpected inheritances about now. That'd be awesome. But that radically had to change your life. We have been given the privilege of God's inheritance. Heirs of what? What is the inheritance? Well... It it mentioned earlier in verse 29, we are Abraham's offspring. So you may know that God made a covenant with Abraham long ago. And said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. So that you can be a blessing to others. And what's interesting about that covenant is that Abraham didn't really was just an ordinary guy. God just kind of came to him and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this deal with you. Except the deal didn't require anything of Abraham. He didn't have any end of the deal to keep up. God just said, made this promise to him. I'm going to do this. All of Abraham's descendants inherited this promise. And this is saying now, if you have been adopted into the family of God, you're now adopted into that ancestry. You get that promise. God is going to bless you, he is going to make you a great nation. With it. And that's speaking of eternity. We are an internal nation of God so that you can be a blessing to others. You now inherited that promise from Abraham thousands of years ago. That's really cool. Children have privileges. All right. So what does this all mean for you and me? That was a long sermon. This is by far the longest sermon I've ever been invited to preach. And I'm sure many of you are asleep. But why does this all matter? Here's why it matters. A children's place is secure. If you're a child of God, you're not at risk of becoming not a child of God. Your place is secure. You can't mess up enough for God to boot you out of the family. 
Some of you have heard the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, awesome. My only comfort in life and death is that I, know, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You belong to Christ. That's not going to change. Another implication that it has for us is freedom. Some of us love to resort back to trying to please God, to doing stuff. But this is saying you're free. You don't have to try harder to be a better Christian. God already accepts you, and he'll take care of the rest. And then the final thing that I think it means for us is that we can live in response. If you really get this whole grace thing that, man, God just like plucked me out of a random place and he adopted me into his family. I didn't have any rights and now I do. I've been offered relationship. I've been given an inheritance. All this undeserved. When you think about all that, it should lead you to a place of, I just want to live my life for this guy because that's pretty awesome. Now, earlier I was saying, I was kind of beating on, stop, stop trying so hard. Stop doing all these things for God. And this is where it kind of comes full circle. If you really get grace, if you really get what God has done for you, then you're automatically going to just want to start living for him. The moments that you get grace are the moments that your life starts just looking more and more like Christ wants it to. It'll just happen. The more you understand grace, the more you understand that you don't deserve it. God just chose you anyway. It'll lead us to a place of gratitude and worship. You'll want to worship the God when you think about what he's done for you. I, I think I've said enough. I guess I just want to, want to close by, by just thinking about a response. You know, you may be here today and... You've been living your whole life trying to please a black pen God. And you realize you're tired. Maybe this whole grace message, this is, new, this is a new word for you. You've heard about being a good Christian your whole life and you've been trying your whole life. But you've never really just thought about what God has done for you. Maybe you realize, I'm not really adopted into God's family because I don't really have that faith yet. And I want to leave room for an opportunity to respond to that. If the Spirit is urging you, this is the time where I want you to understand grace and I want you to give your life to me fully. Stop trying to earn it and just receive it. Or if Daddy... if God has never been Abba, Daddy, to you. I think there's a lot of ways that the Spirit could be working. And I want to just take a moment to pray. And if any of those statements are true for you, if the Spirit is saying to you, it's time you just receive my grace, then maybe you can just, in your mind, be praying with me as I pray. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Abba, Father, Thank you, God, for this gift of grace. Thank you for adopting me into your family when I did not deserve it. Lord, thank you for giving us the rights and privileges of children, of a relationship with you. Lord, if there's anyone here today that you're still a distant God for, God, I pray that 
you would help them to understand this privilege of relationship with you. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that you're stirring in their heart, they have not yet taken that step to have faith in you and to receive all these blessings and promises, God. I pray that right now, in their minds and in their hearts, they would take that step and confess their need for you and come to you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for making a way. In Jesus' name, amen.